we've got a guest speaker today. Um, you don't even know who it is, but as I, but as I announce, please with enthusiasm, make sure you're welcome, um, Reverend Jay Knight. <laughs> He's gonna love that. Sorry, Jay came into so Jay came into membership um, last week. And this is just a thing that we do. Membership one week, speaking the next. So look out, um, Richard Blinks, he was, and the Swain, the Swain family, you're, um, you're on the roster. No, I'm just joking. Um, but I thought what I might do is um, Jay and his family, Robin and the kids, have came into uh, membership just last week, but they've been attending the church here at Hills for some months. And, um, and you might not have had a chance to get to know them. And so I thought I might just quickly ask Jay a few questions, sure, just a little bit about um, your history, um, firstly how you came to be at Hills, let's start there. Oh, okay, um, so we uh, as a family lived um, in America and Australia, or, well in the Philippines for six and a half years, um, Australia for the last five up in Maryborough and since the Lord to call us um, to move from a part-time mission mobilization role to a full-time role, and that necessitated a move uh, to Brisbane. So uh, we had been a member and um, actually on staff at Life Church in Maryborough, and so already a part of the district and the denomination, and we thank the Lord that we were able to move close enough to make Hills our home. Awesome. And we're so happy to have you here, by the way. Thanks. Hey, um, look... Grew up in America. What did mm. life look like for you? you? Did you move into Bible college straight away out of school? Like, what, what was that like, your journey? Sure. Um, so I didn't grow up in a, in a Christ-honoring family. My parents actually went to separate churches growing up and couldn't decide on and where to raise us. So I actually decided not to. So I can probably count on one hand how many times I'd been in a church before I was like 20, 21 years old. Um, and I finally, I, I came to the end of myself. I, I checked out all versions of life, at least in, in, my, li- in my heart. Can I do this? Am, am I meant for this? What am I created for? Um, and finally decided to give the God of the Bible a chance. So I started reading the Bible from the beginning, as you pick up any book and, and start from the beginning. And um, I got five or six books in, and I was thoroughly spun out by the whole thing. Um, remembered there was something called the New Testament. Um, so I turned ahead. And I probably read the Gospels in a day or two and just knew when I saw Jesus that he was everything. That, um, yeah, he was everything and surrendered my life. And whatever, wherever um, he would take me from there, I said, you know, as much as I can. Thanks so much, Jay. Well, um, if you are joining us, we're going through the story. And Jay, I'm sure we'll fill you in briefly. But it's basically from from Genesis to Revelation. And right now we find ourselves in the Gospels. Hmm. And so I think it's probably really appropriate um, for for such an impactful story that's changed your life Hmm. uh, for you to come and and, and speak to us this morning on it. We're going to pray for Jay and let him go. Lord, I just thank you for this man, the calling on his life. Father, the blessing that he is to many actually right around the world. Father, thank you for changing his life. Lord, leading him, um, Lord, to this church as well, so that he could speak into ours. Father, would you anoint the words that come from his mouth? Father, would they pierce our own hearts? And Father, would we walk away from this auditorium changed, Lord, by you? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, one more round of applause for Jay. (laughs) Thanks, Mark. I realized I didn't really answer your question, though, about Bible college and stuff like that. So, um, 
Yeah, I actually started Bible college simply because I got to that place in the Old Testament, just reading through the Bible, and or Kings and Chronicles, everything starts getting repeated, and I just needed to understand. So um, I saw a college called Missouri Baptist College, and I asked them if they had a program to help me understand the Bible, and so they said they did, and so I enrolled, um, and out of that developed a more of a vocational call to ministry, um, besides just what we're all called to and following and representing the Lord Jesus. Okay, so good morning. Um, thank you for um, sharing this morning with me and giving me the opportunity to share both a bit of my story, but more importantly, the story of God. As, as Mark has already said, we're in week 26 of the story. It's a 31-week sermon series that we've been journeying through. Um, if you're with us for the first time, this book, which is a, which is a summary version of the entire script, Scripture, so we can see the full arc of the narrative of God, the um, the top story, as has been said, and it's put together in such a way as that you can see the forest and not necessarily get lost in the trees. Um, so, where I want to actually start this morning, um, so sorry about this. This is a bit of a preview of next week. Spoiler alert: the cross is not the end of the story, but Jesus is raised from the dead. So, um, so I'm going to actually start with that um, and then work my way backwards. So you might be familiar with the story um, found in Luke 24, not Luke 26, um, because that doesn't exist. In Luke 24, starting with verse 26, um, this, it's a story about Jesus joining these two disciples as they're on their road to Emmaus. And they're, they're moaning and groaning a bit, and they've heard about the resurrection but are, are pretty much pretty confused. And so while conversing with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, Jesus steps in and gives them a reminder of what's going on there. He said, wasn't it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things written about himself in all the scriptures. Wasn't it necessary for Christ to suffer these things? Um, and later on in the, in the story, um, they're back now all in Jerusalem, and they're gathered together, and Jesus is with the disciples, the raised, risen Jesus. And then he said to them, These are my words, these are my words, that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it stands written that the Christ would suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day, um, and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. I got to tell you the truth as a mission mobilizer, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'd be pretty keen. To, to skip ahead to the mission that we are all called to, that which we are called to bear uh, testimony to, that which we are called to bear witness to. But all, everything has to first go through the cross. We first must meet Jesus at the cross before we're empowered and raised up with him to be able to carry his message to the ends of the earth. 
So I can guarantee a couple of things. One is I don't have the same amount of time that Jesus had on that road to Demaeus to unpack the whole story of God for you this morning. And I, could prob- and I can guarantee you this too, that, um, that I would rather have been with Jesus telling that story than me right now. But anyway, um, we will, let's pray for a moment and just pray that God would be pleased to speak through his word and, and through me that um, even to a small degree, your hearts might burn um, because of the story of God, just like those disciples on that road did. Father, we do pray, Lord, that your word would um, transform us um, from the inside out, that we might experience the reality of, of faithful obedience, dying to ourselves, dying to sin, dying to the powers that want to control us and being raised up with Jesus, that, we, that you might be in and through us, um, declaring and showing yourself to be the hope of the world as we know that you are. So towards that end, we entrust ourselves in this time of worship together to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, Jesus started with the very beginning and he showed how everything pointed towards him. And that's exactly that review of the story that you've, you've already heard 25 times, but I'm going to, to do so with a, a little bit deeper, but it's also going to be you know, a, a pretty fast run through. So God, in the beginning, created the heavens and the earth, and he, and he said everything is good. He created then humanity in his image, and he said it is very good. And um, if you remember back 25 weeks ago when, when Pastor Nathan opened up this message, the, he gave a beautiful summary that what that means to be created in God's image is that it gives each and every one of us a distinct value and a distinct um, importance because of who we are as image bearers to Christ, um, image bearers to God and how we are created. Um, you know, while we could probably have an entire sermon series simply devoted to what it means to be created in the image of God, and I want to scratch a little bit under the surface of that important summary that, that each and every one of us have value. Um, there's, there's three categories of what it means, theologically speaking, to be created in, in God's image. And quickly bear with the, the, the quick lesson here real quick. Um, one of those categories is that, is that there's something innate about us, our ability to think, our ability to love, our ability to reason and communicate, and, and attributes that we share in common with God. Um, there's another category of thought that means that the... the image of God means that we are created to be relational beings in the same way that God exists as a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect community and perfect harmony. So we are created male and female both in and for community. And in that way, we, we image God. But there's also a purpose for which it means to image God. It might come as a bit of a surprise, but that word there, that image of God word, is actually the same exact word that's translated later on in, in the first and in the second commandment is idol. So in a sense, God is saying, you know, I'm, I'm creating you as an idol of, of myself. And so the importance of that, and the reason why I bring that up just really briefly, is that the function of an idol is to direct worship and praise and glory to the one that the idol represents. So the question, though, is how? 
And that, that how question is actually answered in verse 26 and 27. Verse 26 of Genesis 1 um, says, Let us create man in our own image, so that he may rule over the birds of the air and the fish um, of the sea and so on and so forth. That the purpose for which we are created is actually to govern in, under God's providence and in faith alliance with him that, that the earth might be governed and ordered in a way that brings worship and glory to God. So what it means for us to be image bearers and what we were created for is to be God's representatives in all of the earth. That all creation might worship him and that we might administer his goodness, his character, his love to all creation. That's the vision out of which we are created. That's God's heart. So when Adam and Eve were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, it was to do so as embodied reflections of who God is, that the earth might be filled with the glory of the Lord as the seas cover it. But of course we know that um, Genesis 3 happened, that the serpent snuck in and said, did God really say, did, is, did God really say, don't do this? Did God really say, he's actually withholding something from you. You can be like God. And, and, and the, I mean, the irony there is that we're already created to be like God. He said, you can be like God. Take autonomy for yourself. Be your own gods. Rule yourself. And unfortunately, that's the step that humanity took in the representative, representative leadership of Adam and Eve. And because we've been entrusted with that authority to govern on God's behalf um, and broke away from our faith relationship with him, it gives us an idea of why things went so horribly and so quickly and so badly wrong. We're taken the power and the authority entrusted with us as God's image bearers and distorted it. And in a sense, we're reflecting not on God's good character, but the one who deceived us. Um, skip over the flood, skip over the Tower of Babel, out of the chaos of um, now people um, with their own languages and in a sense with their own gods and their own cultures going every which way, including loose. Um, God chooses Abram at the time, that was his name, and calls him out from the chaos to say, in you and through you, again, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. And so he calls out Abraham and the descendants of Abraham. They get rescued from slavery in Egypt and they get set into the midst of the land with a beautiful vision. Again, uh, you can say in a sense to restore the image of God in and through the people of Israel. The beautiful vision that God gave to the people of Israel was to show the nations, to show creation, again, what it means to live a life with God at the center. That that is the, the high vision and the high calling for the people of God and for the people of God in Israel, is to demonstrate, again, to the nations, and in fact, all of creation, what it means to live a life with God at the center of it all. And of course, we've, how many sermon series did we hear that reflected on Israel's failure to live out that beauty and that vision that God gave for it. 
I've sometimes thought about this as then what emerges as sort of a shadow mission. It's not the vision that God had called the people to, but in fact, it was God's purpose in and through the people of Israel to shine a light by choosing that people as a representative of all humanity to shine a light to show two very important things. Who humans are before God. What the nature of our brokenness is like. What the nature of our sinfulness is like. But just as importantly, to demonstrate who he is in relationship to us. So, And it's this mission and this purpose that continues through the people of Israel. The continued failure, God's continuing to reach out and say, be restored, come back to me. And even when they were exiled and and sent away to both Assyria and Babylon, the restoration of the people of God wasn't because, you know, who they were, what they would do, or who, who they would become. But the Lord says, for my purposes, I will bring you back to the land. And so the Old Testament ends with the the temple being rebuilt and the walls being rebuilt. Um, But there's something that doesn't actually happen at the close of the Old Testament. If you remember back to when Moses built the tabernacle, the power and the glory and the presence of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When Solomon then built the temple, the power and the glory and the presence of the Lord filled the temple. If you look through those ending books of the Old Testament, um, and, and in Ezekiel, Ezekiel as well, you see the power and the glory and the presence of the Lord leave the temple. Doesn't mean he, God abandoned his people altogether because he actually went east and met with them in Babylon. But there's no narrative picture of the power and the glory and the presence filling again um, that physical space until we come And we open up the book of John and we open up the New Testament and the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. The power and the glory and the richness of everything that God is fills again in the person of Jesus. That that word actually there that's um, translated, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, is actually he built, he set up his tabernacle. He set up his tent amongst us. So the glory of God returns to the people of Israel in the person of Jesus. Paul put it like this, speaking of Jesus some years later. Jesus is the embodiment of God's nature and image of God. Um, he is the image of the invisible God. When it's, it's not an accidental use of, of language here. Um, we started out with God creating all of us in his image. Um, and that being broken and distorted, we don't represent, we don't in and of ourselves reflect worship and glory to him. And we don't certainly embody his goodness and his character and his rule with how we manage things on earth. But in Christ, the fullness of the image of God dwells in bodily perfection. And this, this mission and this purpose continues through the person of Jesus and it culminates in the death of Jesus. That mission of shining a bright light on humanity to expose sin for what it truly is, but to expose and to reveal the grace and the goodness of God for what it truly is too. To, to put it like this, he, yeah, he, he shines the greatest light 
on humanity's rejection of God through the cross. There's a story that Jesus told when he was speaking to Nicodemus. He's speaking of his own upcoming cross. Um, said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so too must the Son of Man be lifted up. Um, and this is one of, one of several passages that helped me see just the, the sinfulness of humanity as displayed on the cross. Because what, when Moses lifted up that serpent, he lifted up an image of what at least was the perceived problem. Snakes were biting people and people were dying. And they could look at the image of the thing that was causing death and they could find life in it. And in the same way, Jesus invites us to look at what causes the brokenness and the pain and the hurt in our own lives and in the world to take it fully in that we might also find that it gives us the life that we so need and we're created for. Um, there, in Bible story, storytelling training, ask us to essentially ask three questions of each and every Bible narrative that we can tell or read. Um, and it's, and it's these, these three simple questions. What does this story teach you about God, about who God is, and about how God reveals himself? What does it teach you about yourself or humans or humanity or about our own nature? And if these two things are true, how are you going to orient your life to obey what you've learned? And so that's essentially what we'll do with the with the remaining little bit of time that we have to share this message, is to, um, to answer those three questions. Um, first of all, what does it teach us about ourselves? Um, and at the cross, we can see that the full display of humanity's sin is put on display at the cross. There are several stories that we could look at to where, where we could see the heart motives of the people who, who arranged and conspired to have Jesus crucified. And in looking at those heart motives, we can actually see if we have, um, you know, the ears to be willing to, to take a deep look at ourselves, what the same sin and, and issues are in our own, in our own lives. Um, there's the Pharisees and religious leaders in John chapter 11. Um, you know, so the chief priests and Pharisees called the council together and said, what are we doing? For this man is performing many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on this way, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away our sanctuary and our nation. They fought and defended to protect the blessing that God had entrusted to them by wanting to crucify the Lord, or to wanting to have him killed. And that's why Caiaphas stands up and says, You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is more to your advantage to have one man die for the people than for the whole nation to perish. Um, we could talk about Judas. We could talk about what his heart motives were. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of probably thought around this. One very easy thing to point out is he took money. Did the love of money replace the love of God in Judas' heart um, and lead him to betray the Lord? Um, there's a mix of earthly fight and cowardice in the disciples. Um, you know, forgetting the Lord's teaching and trying to fight to protect Jesus, you know, somebody gets his ear chopped off um, and, and Jesus reaches out and heals. Or just the simple cowardliness of it all that everybody scattered. Um, there's, there's the cruelness that we can look at 
um, and the soldiers that mocked Jesus, um, you know, blindfolding him, um, striking him and saying, you know, if you're the Christ, you know, tell us who punched you. Um, and just, I would assume, are delighting and just being cruel. And that's a problem with us as humans, isn't it? Sometimes we just get it wrong and, and we're cruel to one another. Um, you know, so there's the mocking, the blindfolding, um, you know, and the, and the dressing up in royalty. You know, like, oh, look at that. There's a king and, and ridiculing in that. Underneath it all, I believe, though, there's the same thread that weaves its way through, through all of humanity from the moment the serpent deceived Adam and Eve. It's a distrusting rejection of God's loving rule and a choice to follow our own stubborn ways. Um, this, is, this can be seen in a couple of passages that we'll share on the screen with you. Um, when Pilate wanted to release Jesus, he said, the word says, during the feast, the governor was accustomed to release one prisoner to the crowd, whomever they wanted. At the time, they had in custody a notorious prisoner named Jesus Barabbas. So they had assembled. Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release for you? Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Christ? Um, it's something that some, some translations include the fact that Barabbas' name was Jesus, um, which if you read, I think it's in Matthew in the early, the name Jesus means the Lord saves. And actually, Barabbas means, just, just a little Easter egg, you know, I'll tell you this for free. Um, Barabbas means um, son of the father, uh, is actually what the Hebrew means there. Um, bar is, you know, of, and Abbas or Abba is Abba father, so son of father. So he gives, he, you know, the people of Israel this choice. Who do you choose? Do you choose, you know, the Lord of salvation and fighting for yourself? Or do you choose Jesus, who is called the Christ? Um, it almost seems like a contradiction that, you know, they choose Barabbas. They choose the insurrectionists. They choose the, the one who's going to stand up against the imperial Roman rule and, and all of the negative that, that that brought up with them. But if we flip over to, to the book of John, um, it, it almost seems like a bit of a contradiction here, what they say to Nicodemus. Um, you know, he's asked us essentially, he asked the people, which way of salvation do you choose? You know, taking it in your own hands or the way of Christ? And later on, um, in the same type of interaction, they all shouted together, take this man away, speaking of Jesus, release Barabbas for us, I'm sorry, that, um, and crucify, crucify, crucify. Um, sorry, um, now on to John. It's ironic and telling and, and somewhat hypocritical. Within the one breath, they, they ask for the insurrectionists. And then a little bit later on in John 19, records it like this. From this point on, Pilate tried to release him. But the Jewish leaders shouted out um, for their own political um, well-being, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And I, and I didn't copy it down here too, but we have no king but Caesar. So they, they choose both an insurrectionist to fight against Caesar and reject Jesus for Caesar's rule. The bottom line and, and the bottom you know, truth here is that we as humans, when we reject God's good rule, we ultimately enthrone someone or something else as our God. Um, and quite often, quite frankly, in the Western world, in Australia and America and things like that, that person who should be your own God is you. 
Um, and, that's, and that's at the heart of the sinfulness of humanity that led Jesus to the cross. But when, John, when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus again, after John 3.16, which we could probably most of us can memorize and spout off, comes John 3.17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. So that highlight of sinfulness that is exposed at the cross is, is not to condemn us. It's that we might find life. Therefore, the second thing that I'd like to share is that the full display of God's unyielding grace and love is put on display on the cross. Paul put it like this, but God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Through the cross, Jesus not only demonstrates the love of God, the way to God, but the way that God reigns through love and sacrifice. He takes the worst of humanity and the consequences of our failure upon himself. At, you know, taking care of point one, exposing it for what it truly is, but demonstrating that his life and his purpose and his love is greater. It exposes our heart for what it is, but it exposes God's heart for what it is too. But further, it, it defeats the powers of darkness that would hold us in captive. Um, and Paul, again, in Colossians, put, put it like this. He says this. He has destroyed what was against us, a certificate of indebtedness expressed in decrees opposed to us. He's taking it away by nailing it to the cross, disarming the rulers and authorities. He made a public disgrace of them, triumphing, triumphing over them by the cross. So in the cross, we can see that the powers of darkness are actually, it's not so much Jesus that's naked and ashamed on the cross. It's actually the powers of darkness that is. The fullness of the fruit of sin, Jesus makes a mockery of. You know, you want to live for yourself? This is what it's going to turn out. It's going to end in death. If you want to, re if you want to reject God, the author of life, there's only one alternative and it ends in death. And Jesus takes it upon himself so he can overcome it. And in Luke 23, um, when the darkness shadows the earth, the curtain, and this is 44 through 46 if you want to look it up, but the curtain of the temple, the barrier that stands between us and God is torn from top to bottom and it is put aside because Jesus in the cross has made a way for us to be fully restored to God. So it, it brings us then to what is our choice? What, is, what are we going to do if it's true that the cross exposes sinfulness for what it truly is and God's grace and love for what it truly is? If these things are true, and I wholeheartedly believe that they are, um, how are we going to react to it? How are we going to respond? Not how are we going to apply these things to our lives, but how are we going to apply our lives to the story of God? Moses put it like this in Deuteronomy 30 and verse 15 
in the first part of 16. Look, I have set before you today life and prosperity on the one hand and death and disaster on the other one. What I'm commanding you today is to choose life, is to love the Lord your God. And so that brings us to where we'll start to wind down this morning. And that our full restoration is only found through the cross. Our full restoration is only found in Christ. But as we know, the crucifixion is not the end of the story. Because Jesus was raised to life, we can be fully, ra- fully restored in him. Um, just to put one more underline on it, you know, some people say that all roads lead to God. Um, in a sense, you could say all roads lead to the cross. And it's either we can bear it on our own, we can bear the consequences of our own life choices, or we can share in what Christ has done for us, that we can die with him, that we might be raised up again. And that's exactly what Mackenzie shared with us this morning. She said, in choosing Christ, I want to die to myself, die to sin, die to the power of darkness over me. I want Christ's death to be my death, that his life might be my life too. And so if you haven't come to that place, if you still want to be the God of your own life or follow the ways of the world or whatever the, the, the course might be in your, your own journey, if you haven't come to the place yet where you want to say, yes, I want to die with Jesus. I don't want to die, die by myself. I want to die with him that I might be raised up. I invite you to talk to one of the pastors here on the staff and to make that Make that commitment. Make that reality. Taste and see that the Lord is good and be raised up with him. I imagine, though, that there's, there's probably a lot of people, and, and more often than not, I find myself in this place where I've said yes to the Lord Jesus. I want my entire life to be a reflection of his goodness and his love and his grace and his mercy. But sometimes we just get distracted. Sometimes we just get disoriented and distracted. And one of the things that we'll do this morning, even though we just did it last week, is to again partake and to recommit and say, yes, God, may your life be my life. May um, The Old Testament refers to the life is in the blood. And so as Jesus shares his body and he shares his blood with us, we can take that in and to be again restored and made new. I want to share one more, um, one more thought, and that is because I think the, the majority of what I've communicated about our own sinfulness is how hurtful that it can be, but the reality is it is also deepful, deeply hurting and hurtful to our own selves. And so there's probably people here this morning that aren't experiencing the, the, um, the outpouring of sinfulness but the brokenness that comes with it, whether that's because of our own brokenness or whether that's because of the hurt that somebody's inflicted on us. I I read several years ago um, a reflection on the parable or the the teaching of Jesus that he is the vine and we are the branches. And it's something that it comes across as pretty obvious when you think about it, but if you don't think about it, you might not see. That in order for a branch to be grafted into a vine, both need to be wounded. You can't just put up the bark of a branch to the bark of the vine and expect the life of the vine to to flow into the branch. Both need to be wounded for that graft 
to be able to take place. And Jesus takes on that wounding to himself that he might touch us in the broken parts of our lives and through you know, the nail-pierced hands, restore us and fill us with his life and his love and his purpose. And so let's, let's close this morning. I believe we'll still do the communion even though we're starting to run a little bit, <laughs> a little bit long on time. Um, but what a cool thing that in the cross, we've seen the three aspects, really three aspects of how that plays out. Dying to self and being raised with Christ in baptism. Communion, communing with Christ and taking in his life and saying afresh, my, let your life be my life. But also sending out of a mission worker to, to go out and to proclaim that new life and to demonstrate that new life to the nations. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave, his, gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. When he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it together anew with you and my father's kingdom. So this morning, it'll be a little bit different. And what we're inviting you to do is to come to the altar, commune with Christ in his death, that we might commune with him in his life. So come, partake of the gluten-free bread and the juice. Remain at the altar in communion and prayer if you need to. The prayer team will come up later. If you're in a place where you need some extra prayer, that can, that can happen too. But let me just close our time in prayer. And... Um, as we start, you may come to the front. Father, we do thank you that you have demonstrated and given us life in Christ. Help us to commune with you. Help us to die to self. Help us to die to the brokenness that wants to overtake us, that we might live with Christ. May we be nourished by faith in him now in this moment as we commune with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.